players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Dreadhorde Arcanist, Thoughtseize, Plague Engineer, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live, Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thraven University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Welcome to episode 25 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, where we creatively talk about M21, since it is, again, spoilers season. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Brian Koval and Bryant Cookit on the Grill. How's everyone doing? I'm still reeling from Bryant Cookit on the Grill. I thought you'd enjoy that I did that cook one. on the grill today. I do every day now. Finally living up to your name. All right, Brian, what have you been up to other than cooking on the grill? Life is kind of boring. Like, honestly, I didn't even realize that it's been two weeks since we recorded our last podcast until today. Um, I, I guess I've been watched binge, uh, can't talk, Space Force. And my group of friends were like, that show's awful. You shouldn't watch it. Their reviews were awful. I think people just wanted to dislike it because it was fine. And not every show needs to be the greatest thing you've ever watched. Like, it was fun and it was entertaining. Like, I think that's what the show went out to do and it accomplished it. I don't know if either one of you two have tried it or not. Yeah, I, I watched Space Force, uh, and I also thought it was fine. And I agree completely with the sentiment of uh, not everything you watch has to be Citizen Kane. Like, there, there's plenty of things that can be entertaining and, like, whatever on top of that. Uh, like, I, I, I know a lot of people uh, value their their time in certain ways, and so do I. Like, I'm not willing to just spew my time on any stupid thing. But at the same time, like, you're not curing cancer at home at night. Like, what are you doing that you can't, don't have two hours in your life to watch a movie that's not a masterpiece? So, like, uh, I'm into that. Like, I, I get in this exact debate with uh, one of my good friends, Chris, all the time. Like, he lives and dies by the tomato score. He just, like, will not watch a movie if it's less than, like, 90% or whatever on tomatoes. And it's like, this movie was a 54 and I had a good time. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Look, sometimes you just also, need like, the it. show's really short. It's, like, 30 minutes per episode. And I want to say there's, like, eight episodes, maybe 10. Like, you can rip through it. Yeah. At one... This stuck with me, like, for years. Uh, Brian David Marshall once uh, tweeted uh, asking people what they thought perfect movies were. Like, what movie is perfect to you? And I, I read the whole thread because I, I, I love movies. I want to make sure I didn't miss anything that's perfect out there. And somebody replied, dude, where's my car is a perfect movie. It's a bad movie, but it's perfect. And that just, like, completely... Uh, was able to define how I feel about movies uh, better than I ever was. So something bad can still be perfect. Wise words. I like it. Yeah. Other than watching uh, apparently bad television shows, I've been playing a lot of Pioneer Breach. I find, honestly, that's one of the more interesting decks I think I've ever played. 
in Magic. Like, there's so many small decisions that go into every turn, and that's the sort of magic I really enjoy. We talked about that a couple episodes ago with Haymaker Magic versus small decisions, and this is right in my wheelhouse. That, and I've been continuing to play a lot of Vintage. But as far as Legacy goes, I think my uh, ambition's down at the moment. Without large events to prep for or any real reason to play, in fact, they got rid of the Thursday PTQs, there's just no reason to play Magic, and I think Legacy is a little bit boring right now, and I'm hoping M21 changes that. Yes, please. Yes. I So I recorded Daily Death and Taxes for this week, which will have aired by the time this podcast episode goes live. And I chose to play sort of a white Eldrazi-style deck list for the week, because, like, the name Daily D&T kind of encompasses anything of that general ballpark. And I played an entire league in which I don't think a single decision that I made mattered, and I finished the league in less than an hour, and it was just, like, I felt utterly defeated by the time that I was done with that league. I hear you. I decided to play the Sunday Challenge uh, this week, where round one, my opponent was on Rugdolver. They had like a turn three Uro, and I thought that was really strange, but I was like, maybe they're going bigger for the mirror. And then they had a Mystic Sanctuary, and I was like, oh man, this deck's wild. Like, kudos to my opponent. And I go off with like Double Veil, and then I got stifled, and I just like sat in my chair for a second. And, I mean, I'm not trying to like make fun of my opponent here, but I was like, why would you ever play all of those cards in the same list? Like, 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 the, like, I just can't wrap my head around it. Like, it is so far past my comprehension that I was just like, yeah, you got me. And then I went to sideboard and like game two, I just drew like crap and lost. And then uh, round two, I got crushed by Black Road Reanimator. And I was like, you know what? It's still really early. I'm going to go enjoy my Sunday. We went to a greenhouse. We bought some living plants for our home. And I was just like, this was so much better than being miserable playing Legacy all day. Amen to that. That's how I feel every time I play in a weekend challenge for Magic Online. Like I, I know I have bemoaned them in the past, but just so, somehow just the difference between being somewhere physically and draining a whole weekend playing Magic, like uh, three hours from home, is just so much more fun than doing the same thing in my home, which seems like, you know, obviously the gathering is the the missing piece there, but the... Uh, like, I just can't feel like I wasted an entire day if I don't you know, do extremely well on the challenge. Yeah, I think I've played four of those Sunday events lifetime. They're just not super appealing to me because I make so much content regularly. And like, I won one, I top-aided one, and I bombed out of the other two very quickly. And I don't know. Like, chatting with people in between rounds is such a huge difference between just like sitting in front of your computer or like, trying to cram in a meal in between rounds. Like, I don't know. It's I don't love them. I do for the most part, uh, but mostly because like you can do laundry or like household things in between rounds. Uh, at least when you play a fast deck, if you're playing like a Anurag DOS control deck, probably not. Like you're not going to be able to do anything in between rounds, but it's really nice when you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to mow the lawn. Like I played the vintage one last Saturday. I was literally mowing my lawn in between rounds uh, and I have a pretty large backyard, so it took like after three rounds I was done. But I mean, like I got stuff accomplished that day. Is I guess what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, as as a storm player, I'm sure it's a little different than those of us who who need like 
30 minutes at least per round to make it happen. They give me 50. I'm going to use 50. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get your money's worth. All right, Brian, what have you been up to? So uh, speaking of how I don't love digital magic, (laughs) I was face down testing for this uh, PT, the arena PT that happened last weekend. The first wave of them, there's four. There were four start times you could choose from for four separate events. Anyone who was queued for any PT gets to choose one of the four. And I I chose last weekend because it made the most sense as an American on the East Coast. And I work so hard. Like I, I spent probably the uh, 10 days leading up to the PT, just waking up in the morning, moving to my basement, putting my laptop on my lap and grinding arena and being active in our team discord. Uh, And I did that every day for 10 days. And then I thought we had a really sweet deck. Uh, Teamer Reclamation is uh, a deck in standard for anyone who cares uh, that probably could have should have been banned with the last wave where they took out Fires of Invention and Agent of Treachery. And a lot of people were surprised it didn't go and it dominated both PTs and we thought we had a good matchup against it. I was crushing it in testing and then game day came and I went two and three against Team Arec. I played... uh, Eight rounds of magic. Five of the rounds were against Team Arec, and I I went two and three against it. So I, I thought we had something good, but turns out that the best deck is just way better. I'm gonna pause you the for a second, on spec. Brian. Uh, one, I would like to say that I love your optimism. Uh, you really bring a lot to this podcast in the form of like a lot of energy, and I appreciate that. Uh, the second thing is. What is your opinion on this? Because I read a couple of Twitter threads about this, and as someone who's ingrained in standard or just was, do you feel like Growth Spiral violated something within the recent rules of standard magic regarding acceleration? Uh, almost certainly. Uh, I know uh, Zvi Mauschwitz tweeted after, I, I think the the morning PT, I played the afternoon PT this past weekend. The morning one, I think, had the full 32 possible copies of Growth Spiral in the top eight. And I know the uh, the one I was in was pretty close to that, too. I, I think one Jund player made it in. Uh, but in general, Bant and Rug and Sultai were the three decks. And the reason they were the three decks was because you have Growth Spiral, where like an early Growth Spiral is functionally time walk, because a lot of standard decks aren't doing anything except developing in the early turns. It's not like Legacy, where like turn two is the mid game already in some situations like uh barring like mono red aggro uh yeah turn two is very much still the development stage and just uh a lot of games came down to just like they had the growth spiral and i didn't and then all my uh soft permission is blanked uh, like mystical dispute we know about that one from legacy that's a standard legal card and like if they get a growth spiral under you and then they're able to Uro and then your dispute doesn't do anything because they ramped twice and you didn't at all. So uh, I, I do think that growth spiral is probably a little too good. Um, being an instant is extra fucked. Like Explore did not break standard. And, and I, I'm not saying growth spiral broke standard like in the but like I think it's breaking some rules that uh, we should expect in a standard metagame these days. Uh, being an instant where you can just like surprise I'm at four mana now or like uh, 
like team or wreck getting to like test you on your end step. It's like you have one mystical dispute in your hand and they're like end step growth spiral. It's like, well, do I fight that? If I fight that, they get to untap and jam wreck and then I lose. It's like playing against Splinter Twin. Uh, like I, a lot of people say it's like Splinter Twin, but uh, I, I actually mean that playing against team or wreck is like playing against the, the fair plan out of Splinter Twin where like, uh, they don't even have to combo. They're going to beat you playing fair, but you have to constantly respect the combo while you're trying to beat them playing fair. And it's just, it, it's a pinch that's really hard to get out of. So full disclosure, that's the first time that I've ever read that card. That card is insane. Like, yeah, no dude. wonder standard seems so like hyper powered. Um, like I know nothing about standard, but I saw some like play versus draw statistics for standard. And it was like an incredible difference. Like, I think greater than 10% play versus draw. It's been an issue the last few years, though. Yeah, play draw is, like, in Magic in general, but this standard especially, and it's, I think, because of Growth Spiral, is, like, the only thing you can do uh, on the draw against a turn two Growth Spiral is Mystical Dispute. And the standard mana base, you have all the shock lands, like, those are all legal and standard right now, but... All the other lands you want to play, like the Temples and Triumphs, come into play tapped. So, like, it's it's not a good situation to, like, fight over a Growth Spiral. And then, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I thought we had a super sweet deck, but it turns out the combination of Growth Spiral plus uh, Wilderness Reclamation, which is functionally show and tell if it resolves in the standard metagame. Like, that's how it feels. Like, you just have to play in a way that you can't let this one card resolve, or else anything you do after that, it's not going to matter. So, I, I got crushed by the best deck. Um, I also, two of my three losses were against previous Pro Tour champions, which didn't help. Um, I, I actually played against Andrew Bogan in the tournament, and he was one of my testing partners. He was on my team, and I just, like, mushed him repeatedly in testing. He never took a match off me for the entire week we were testing that matchup, exactly. And then he just easily 2-0'd me when it mattered. So, that's how it be. So, other than the Pro Tour stuff, what have you been doing to keep busy? Uh, I finished Avatar The Last Airbender. The show is still great. Um, I binged Space... Space Force, uh, like we talked about, uh, season five of Queer Eye, I crushed that in two days. Uh, I watched a show called Dirty John, uh, which is like a true crime uh, based on a true story, like uh, creepy, like dude taking advantage of a uh, emotionally desperate woman with a lot of money and like things get real crazy. It was actually pretty good. It's got uh, Eric Bana is the the crazy guy. Uh, and I, I like him a lot. Uh, King of Staten Island was a really great movie that came out this week. Uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. And I started watching season three of 13 Reasons Why and quit after one and a half episodes. Uh, that show started off like its first season pretty controversially, but I thought it was really phenomenal, uh, even though it was slightly dangerous to a certain population. Uh, if you're not familiar with the show, it deals with like suicide and sexual assault and stuff. And then like season two just got real dumb. And then season three, I just like watched one and a half episodes and was like, why is this even real? So that I, I, I'm done with that one forever. 
Borderlands 3, uh, I've been talking about that for, for months now. As you know, they released a, uh, a new uh, like raid-style feature called like a takedown. And uh, they, they released the first one free, so I didn't have to pay for it. And I've been trying to do it solo because I don't have a lot... My brother, who I play with all the time, isn't leveled high enough to take on that mission yet. And my other friends who play the game are, are hard to uh, get in one spot. But uh, it takes about 45 minutes to fight through like the waves of stuff to get to the boss. And then the boss is completely busted. And then if you die against the boss, it kicks you back like 20 minutes backwards in the grind. And you have to grind back into the boss. So it, it's... You have to dedicate like an hour to even one unsuccessful run, and uh, that's been tough. But I keep throwing myself at it because I'm crazy. Have like solo uh, attempts been done? Like, is it possible? Yes, uh, I. So I didn't know what it was uh, when I first found it. Like, I just logged in one day, and my like you know, max level character. I've cleared all the missions, and there was just a new mission. I was like, oh, that's cool. I'm in, and. <clears throat> I just got completely ranched by the boss and <laughs> just like, oh, that was intense. And then but and then I, I did a little more research and realized that you're supposed to like do it as a group and like uh, it's supposed to be very difficult. And but I, I watched some YouTube videos like try to get the strat down and uh, I, I have gotten closer. The boss has like five phases and I got into the beginning of phase four before I died yesterday for the first time. I usually died in phase three, so I'm getting better. Someday I'll find some friends and do it. Uh, outside of the digital space, uh, two weeks ago I was playing frisbee golf, which is a thing that I do. I have a course right down the street from me, and I just like yeeted this frisbee. Uh, it took a hard shank and disappeared into the woods, and... The woods are all poison ivy and thorns and horrible things that you can't really shove through. And you can't see anything because the ground is heavily grassed over as well. Uh, I started playing in like the end of the winter, beginning of the spring when that wasn't a problem because the vegetation wasn't alive yet. And like you could just walk in and see your frisbee easily and throw it back out. But I lost one to the woods two weeks ago. I used that as an excuse to buy a nicer one. And then today, on my first outing with the new one, I lost it in the exact same way, in the exact same spot. <laughs> just like, it's just like the fifth tee. I just fucking shanked it off the planet, and it was gone instantly. And I'm still fighting off the poison ivy I got from the first one that I waded <laughs> into the woods looking for. And, uh, I, like, I, I'm like currently as we're recording just like frantically scratching my legs because uh it's horrible and now now the that section of woods has two of my frisbees i can't remember the pitcher's name but there's a pitcher for the cincinnati reds that tweeted that their goal for being off from baseball right now is to become the best possible uh frisbee golf player ever and they're just like tweeting videos of them launching frisbees like hundreds of yards into like straight into the target like it's amazing <laughs> that's awesome yeah like i i've definitely i haven't had like a sport to dedicate myself to since i was in high school basically like playing baseball so 
just making those adjustments, like increasing your both your technique and your physical output ability, like uh, and, and seeing real change in your score has been a lot of fun for me over this uh, pandemic. The the quarantine is when I decided it was time to learn disc golf because it's a thing I could do without being near anyone. And I've kept a spreadsheet of all of my, my scores uh, over the past three months, and I have gotten better. I threw my first uh, under par outing last week. It was actually the one I lost the Frisbee on. Like I was having the round of my life and even like losing 45 minutes of searching and taking a, a penalty drop to get back on the, the course. Like I still was under par. So it was pretty good. But uh, that that's what I've been working on. And speaking of sports, my girlfriend, who is an equestrian, has her first horse show in years this weekend. Like since in the time I've, I've known her about six years, probably. And uh I, I've always known she rides horses, but it's like lessons and like helping. Uh, she has like arrangements with a local barn where she gets to ride the horse in exchange for she has to exercise the horse. So she's basically like putting it through its paces in exchange for being allowed to ride it. it. But she's actually competing this weekend. I think she hasn't competed since high school. So it's kind of a, a big deal. And I'm excited to go watch that. So like real questions. How does that work during a pandemic? Like... Well, uh, we are going to find out the, it, it's a small show. All the big ones have been canceled. Like, uh, uh, like the, there's a big one in Kentucky called Rolex that we went to a couple of years ago. Like all of the like big, like worldwide ones are canceled. This is just like a, a like regional thing and it's outdoors. And, uh, I imagine it'll be reasonable to keep space from everyone. Like, I don't plan on sitting in bleachers or anything. I'll stand along the fence if I have to. And I'm going to bring a mask and use my good judgment of if I need it in the outdoor area or not. So uh, we'll see. I'm surprised it's happening, but Pennsylvania is currently green uh, for whatever that means. Though I'm seeing that uh, Florida has already started to shut back down from their reopening a couple weeks ago. And I'm sure the rest of the country is on the way there, too. But we have this one good weekend where I'm going to go watch some horses jump. All right, Phil, how about you? What is your life been? Um, so it's weird. I'm done with like school. So like I'm done with working for the time being. But I've been in my office like putting in full time hours doing like stream and website related stuff over the past couple of days anyway. So probably for the past like week and a half, I still like worked an eight hour day doing content production stuff uh which has been really weird uh mostly this is because the deck building challenge that i uh i hosted just ended um as of this week and so i spent a lot of time putting together the results of that people are crazy like you, you lock them up in quarantine and say hey make a deck list and the things that you will get out of them are so cool so Shifting Ceratops, for example, was one of the cards that I asked people to brew around. And someone submitted Nether Void Nick Fit, where the goal is to get Nether Void into play as quickly as possible to lock out your opponent and then play uncounterable Shifting Ceratops, uh, Prowling Serpapod, and whatever the other uncounterable dinosaur is as your win conditions while using your uncounterable Abrupt Decays as your removal spells. Like, 
Serpapod is the uh, the four three cat snake, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I remember a lot of people were excited about that thing, like an aggressively costed, uncounterable creature with built-in card advantage, and then it just was never played. I'm glad someone found yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be playing that on stream uh, sometime either next week or the following week um, as of when this podcast goes live. Um, other than that, I've been playing a lot of Monster Train. Um, that game is still awesome. I'm on like max difficulty doing like random, random runs at this point and trying to win streak as many wins in a row as I can get. Um, just absolutely in love with that game. It's been scratching, scratching my strategic itch better than magic has been. Um, because I feel like a lot of my games of legacy aren't as exciting as they were in the companion era. Like, yeah, obviously the companion era of Legacy had huge, huge problems, but like the gameplay was so intricate and interesting. And I just got like bored with current Legacy because it was just like Legacy of before. So that's Haymaker Magic. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. Although I did get some savage blowouts in both directions on stream today. So I lost with Karn and Mycosynth Lattice in play today, when my opponent just had Ancient Tomb up. I did not expect this to happen. Did you get Warping Wild? No! They floated two colorless mana, and my Mycosynth Lattice resolved, and then they cast Petty Theft. Skadoosh. And my mind was blown, because Mycosynth Lattice lets you spend mana as if it's mana of any color. And in my mind, I went, they have no outs with two colorless up. No, they had blue and a colorless available. Yeah, there is flavor text on Microsynth Lattice that occasionally blows you out. Uh, I, I remember in uh, Modern, people were talking about, like, how do they, they fix their, like, Eldrazi Tron mirror when it's just, like, a race to Lattice? And, like, they were like, we could just play for Hercules Recall and just let them Lattice and then send them out just hold up two mana at all points and that's an easy win um i also got to play with black lotus and legacy that was really cool uh turns out like lotus field is a playable legacy card i had no idea i played it with blood sun today and just like absolutely savaged people that's hot like i did not expect that to be good i expected to like rag on that in the debrief and then I just went turn one Blood Sun, turn two Chandra Awakened Inferno. And it was like, oh, this is a thing that can happen in Legacy. Hot. There's a, a local guy who his his deck of choice is always mono red sneak attack. And uh, he plays Blood Sun in the deck. And uh, I, I lost to him once when he hardcast Emrakul uh, because... His city of traders didn't die, and they still tapped for two, and he just kept hitting land drops, and then at some point, like, just seething song, Emrakul. And <laughs> it's just like, shit. Yeah, it's really funny. Um, Ancient Tomb gets a lot of hype in Legacy, but it's actually, like, a really shitty magic card. <laughs> because, like, as the game goes on, it's like, every time you tap that Ancient Tomb, it's just like, how many more of these do I have? And, like, anytime your opponent plays a Delver, you're like, ah, oh, great, I'm dead already. In uh, my opinion, that's just good card design, though. Like... You get this cost up front, and later on in the game, you're punished for that cost. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm memeing a little bit here. Um, but, like, when your City of Traders loses its downside, it's, like, mind-blowingly good. Yeah, it, it's like Sol Ring. Like, functionally Sol Ring once it's in play, and it's just 
real, real good. Phil, going back to your comment about working on the website, that's something that I am constantly doing. And like, no one ever sees the upgrades that I'm making, or sometimes they do every year or two when I redesign the site, but I'm constantly making small improvements to the epicstorm.com. I might have mentioned it on the last one, but someone messaged me that the site was a little slow. So I paid for upgraded servers, and then I started doing like Google page speed tests and then web page tests to improve my speed rank so I could find out like what on the site was slowing the site down and what I could do to improve. And at the when we recorded in the last episode, I had just gotten up to an 87 and I was so proud. I was like, yeah, because like my site's really heavy. Like there's a lot of uh, JavaScript and stuff going on. And I was so proud. And then literally like three days later, Google announced they were changing how they were ranking websites. And I went back down to a 62 and I was like, all that work I just did is gone. So I've spent the last couple of weeks like quietly making upgrades again. And now I'm in like the low 80s, which is really nice. It's just like I had to do so much work to get there. Uh, a lot of like moving and like delaying JavaScript and stuff like that. But it's worth it in the end. Yeah, I spent probably about 20 hours parsing deck lists for the uh the deck list brewing competition and then like writing up my article where i announced the winners and like that time i was only able to commit that much time to it so quickly because i wasn't working but like if i was trying to do that on top of the work that i normally do during the school year um like 20 hours is a lot of work all right anyway um let's go into some feedback um and i guess before we do that um as always, um, no no new donations this week exactly, uh, but like follow-up thought on that in a second. Um, Henrik got back to us, uh, and he informed us that we were actually pronouncing his last name wrong. <laughs> uh, I believe, uh, Bryant, correct me if I'm wrong, is it Korkutz? I believe that is correct. Yeah, so it ended in a C, but it's pronounced more like a T-S. Uh, so, so that ended up catching us. Um, just as a heads up, uh, we did not receive any new donations after the, the last episode. You know, no pressure there, but just like heads up, we uh, we pay our editor, Phil Blackman, who does great work. And uh, we, we dipped into the reserves a bit to pay him for this coming week. So, you know, if you like what we're doing, consider supporting us. All right. Um, so part of that is uh, our friend of the podcast, Jordan Wood, who is a local to me, uh, left a really nice bit of feedback on reddit that i went and shared on the podcast twitter and i will read that now as a fan of the podcast i enjoy every episode but when i enjoy an episode a little bit more i like to throw a donation to the guys this week however instead of giving to eternal glory i donated to my local black lives matter group in honor of the podcast if this week's discussion moves you i would hope you would do the same and that's why we're thrilled that we didn't receive any donations this week. We're hoping that everyone gave a little bit to the groups around them to show support to what we talked about at the end of last week. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and just try to make it a slightly better place. Can I take the next one? Uh, yeah, let me just say... like I don't like that you have such a shit-eating grin, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a final note on this one. It made all of us very, very happy when we received this first comment. Like, we had done a little, little tiny bit to make the world a better place. Okay, Brian, now go ahead. All right, so uh, another piece of feedback going the other direction we got was, I really enjoyed the magic part of the episode. Regarding the politics part, the fact implied that Trump and his supporters think that black lives don't matter is just horrendous. 
It really displays either extreme ignorance or malicious demonization. Much of politics is subjective, and there is room for some difference of values. But so greatly mischaracterizing the other side is absurd. Uh, I would just like to say that if the supporters of Donald Trump are not actively racist, which I believe might be the case in a lot of cases, they are certainly okay with racism. And that is the decision every one of them have made. This man just announced that his first rally for the upcoming election will be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, home of the greatest, biggest, erased from history hate crime in American history on Juneteenth, which is the anniversary of the slaves being emancipated and is a black holiday. So that's the man that you're supporting and saying that is not racist. So uh, get your mileage where you are, or, but that seems pretty fucking racist to me. And it is what it is, buddy. Brian, do you want to say the other thing that you mentioned in the group chat as well? I don't remember what you're referring to. Well, I remember. <laughs> so uh, Bryant did some internet sleuthing uh, on this person and found their Twitter. And it seems like they have never interacted with a magic content, at least publicly. So it's unclear if if this person even is a magic player or if they're a bot or just like some you know, internet person who was searching like Black Lives Matter in content descriptions that week looking for places to leave comments but uh it's possible this person isn't even a person uh, on top of their uh, uh confused ideologies here yeah when i found their account they were following 45 people and had like 20 people following them and there there was a single magic player who they were following but the other 39 people or whatever it was uh for example like kellyanne conway was someone they were following they followed mitch mcconnell uh most of who they followed were like leaders of the Republican Party. And I have no problem with someone being a Republican for what it's worth. Like people are allowed to have different values and see things from another light. And I tend to try to always think of how the other side views things before speaking. However, I think that there comes a, a point where you draw a line in the sand. And if people are trying to do something horrendous, you need to ask themselves, why are they having this motive? And I think that there's a something going wrong with the Republican Party at the moment. A lot of the Republicans that were not in line with Donald Trump have been replaced. There was a, a young Republican uh, senator from Massachusetts, actually, which is kind of shocking because they tend to be more blue, but they were just straight up replaced. So, I don't know. I, I don't think that... I don't know. I'm going to stop there. Yeah, we don't need to do this episode again, but... Uh, the, yep. I think we've said what we we need to say without do it repeating last week's yeah. episode. Let's just go into the deep dive on the spoilers. <clears throat> so to just kind of start... Snoop! the snoop! It's going to be so good! All right. Um, to give you an idea of conceptually where we're going. So the last time we did a spoiler episode, we kind of felt like we were a little bit too exhausted. We covered too many things. We were tired by the end. Um, so instead of talking about, like, every single thing that, like, is potentially legacy playable, we're gonna try to focus the episode more on about five cards, and then if we have some additional time, we'll sort of, like, talk about some of the, the more fringe and situational cards. Uh, so let's start with con Conspicuous Snoop, which is probably going to be a multi-format all-star. I am just so impressed by this card. What is the over-under on this getting banned in Modern? Like, 
Can we talk about what the card does before we talk about banning it, Bryant? <laughs> I what, guess so. What, what podcast do you think this is? All right, so I'm going to read. I'm sorry. I I'm thought I was on this card for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yikes. All right. So Conspicuous Snoop is a red, red creature dash goblin rogue. It is a 2 2. And you play with the top card of your library revealed. As long as that card is a goblin, you can cast it. And as long as the top card of your library is a goblin, Conspicuous Snoop has all activated abilities of that card. So there's a lot to unpack here before we even get into, like, synergies. So, like, first off, the effects that usually let you play cards off the top of your library tend to be more expensive than this, usually by two mana if it's not a land. So, like, at three mana, it's relatively common that you can play a land off the top of your library. And at four com at four mana, you start to get things like Experimental Frenzy that let you play stuff off the top of your library. Now, granted, this one is a little bit conditional in that it has to be a goblin, but, like, if you're playing a goblin tribal deck where this, like, obviously slots in, that's just, like, basically any non, like, ether vial card you just get to, like, cast off the top of your library. And that's... That alone is pretty nuts card advantage for a two-mana spell. I think this is the first time in my life I am now okay with Goblin Recruiter being banned in Legacy. Yeah. That would be that would be pretty brutal. However, there is a card that has a somewhat similar effect for a single goblin, and that is Bogar Harbinger. I think I said that right. It's not Harbinger, Harbinger. there's isn't no it? R after the B. But uh, when I first read because like people were posting screenshots all over Twitter of these cards next to one another, it didn't immediately click with me. I was like, I get that you get to put it on top, but like that's kinda cute, so you get I don't know. How about Kiki Jiki? And then you can copy it infinitely. And I was like, okay, so you have like a bunch of tap guys. So you like copy your uh, your snoop on the end step and then you untap with a bunch of them. And I was just brain farting for a long time about how you actually get lethal. Was it obvious to you two? Yes. But I played a lot of goblins. So like Sling Gang Commander was already in the deck and was already absurd as is Mog Fanatic. And, like, both of those are reasonable ways to get the kill. Um, Sling Gang is, like, probably cleaner and plays around a few more things than it does so in fewer clicks. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't think Mog Fanatic is actually legacy playable anymore. But uh, to finish off how the combo works, so you put Kiki Jiki on top of the deck. And th so this would be turn three. So you play turn two Snoop, turn three uh, Harbinger. You get Kiki, and now your Snoop can copy itself over and over. So you end up with a ton of tap snoops. And on the last one, you copy Harbinger again. You get Sling Gang and you sack an infinite number of goblins to drain infinitely. That is the combo. Uh, this is a modern legal combo. It's a legacy legal combo. And I guess technically you could play it in Vintage if you wanted to. So the question is, like, how does this impact goblins? Uh, I think this, pa this package is really tight and... I think it's pretty cheap to put in your deck. Like, Bogart Harbinger is kind of a brick if you're not going off with it. But if you if you get, like, Vile active and you play one of those, like, mid-rangey Goblin games, like, Goblins has always been the uh, aggro combo control deck, depending on what the opponent is up to in any given game. And it can play all three of those roles at different points in the same game against the same opponent. And that's always been the strength of Goblins. And... 
putting a card like Bogart Harbinger in your deck, like, does it just replace the matron? Does it, is it added to the matron? Like, it, it's gonna, it, like, it's a much worse card than matron, but it feeds a different engine. So the, the people, the, the goblin deck building geniuses out there are gonna have to figure out if you're gonna, how far to push goblins off of its traditional, I can play any role axis and into the combo axis. And uh, can the deck still like pile drive people out of nowhere uh, and and hold this combo in it? Like, can is there room for all of those things? So it's going to be really interesting to see how this happens. I think we get two very different divergent builds of goblins from this. So I think you can build your goblins deck to be closer to an all-in combo deck that has value-oriented game plan as well. And you just like max out on these and max out on the Boggarts. And like you can try to be a combo deck that still keeps like the matrons and ringleaders so that you can grind through the control decks. Or you can basically slot in this combo for like literally two cards, right? Assuming you're already playing a Kiki Jiki in your goblins list, which is like kind of 50 50, it's only a two card slot to include this combo, assuming you can tutor it up. Um, and that's, like, very, very low cost for a combo finish. I think another, like, fair equivalent of this is putting one Thespian Stage and one Dark Depths into your Maverick deck, where you get, like, the backdoor tutorable combo finish. Yeah, I I think I would start on that side of things, uh, personally, if I were going to play around with this, and I might, uh, might be a sweet video in the near future. Uh, like just start with goblins and like you can play like one harbinger one of each and use the matrons to find the combo as you need it snoop might just be a four of on fair value though like the the cast goblins off the top of your deck yeah that's nice i would expect snoop to be a four of personally if i was playing this deck i think obviously i'm a combo player i'd lean a little bit more on the combo side i think i just wouldn't play matron anymore as brian mentioned I'd be focusing a little bit more on the combo aspect, probably with three Harbingers, a uh, single Kiki, and then whatever, whatever the standard number of Sling Gangs are, two or three. Uh, but I know a couple of local Goblins players that my entire life of playing Legacy, they've played nothing but Goblins. And they both just, they don't like some, they, what they like in Goblins are very different things, but they both agree that Piledriver is actually one of the worst cards in the deck. And I think they both only play one at this point. Like you only play it to go get it with Matron because it's not a card you actually want to draw on its on its own because it's just too slow nowadays. Yeah, it's been a long time since Pile Driver was good. So like, there's also some weird cards in Goblins. Um, I think Mog War Marshal is the best example of that, where you look at Mog War Marshal and you go like, that card sucks, and then that card is also just like unquestionably responsible for game wins at the same time because like it blocked a tarmogoyf then made two tokens that blocked the tarmogoyf or like you played it and then you had sling gang or you played it with skirt prospector and it made a whole bunch of mana um goblins becomes weird when you cut certain pieces of the engine and it's going to be really interesting to see how the deck evolves um, and another thing that's really weird about uh, the Snoop is that it incentivizes you to have red red on turn two, which is not something that the deck always does because it's a wasteland and port deck. I've thought of that. So Skirk Prospector starts to look a little bit better than it did before. 
Yeah. And so, like, if Skirk Prospector is getting better, then, like, you also don't cut the Mog War Marshals, so where are the slots coming from? Like, Pile Driver probably gets the axe, and, like, then where are the other ones coming from? Like, it... I look forward to watching some of Goblin Lackey's content, uh, Eli Going's content, as he uh, figures some of this out. So I mean no disrespect to any current Goblins player and the innovations they've been making on the deck, but I do think that there will be more minds looking at Goblins right now, and with more minds looking at decks and how to improve them, you tend to get better ideas because more people are now working on something with you. Uh, as someone who I've spent a lot of my life working on the Epic Storm, there's only so much one person can do, and having feedback to your thoughts is super helpful. And when there's more people helping out, you tend to make a lot more progress than you would if it's only you and a couple other people. So I expect a big step forward in Goblin's evolution over the next few months. Yeah, um, I'm exaggerating when I say Eli is the only one working on Goblins, because that's not true but he's probably the only person with a really visible face in the legacy community as a whole who is really pushing goblins forward right now. Like, he's got a Patreon that he does, I don't know, weekly goblin content for. He streams it very, very consistently. Um, yeah, I I do agree with that. I don't know how many people he actually has to turn to to, like, talk to about goblin stuff. Um, do we have anything else? Random thought. So, depending on how you want to build this deck, is Goblin Ringleader still really what you want to be doing? Like, I, I'm i not saying to cut the card completely, but if this is the direction that Goblins is going, is it automatically a four of? I'm just raising a question here. Like, I'd probably still want to play at least a few of them, but are you still the I want to be casting a better factor fiction Goblins deck, or should you try to be a little bit more combo-oriented? Like, these are some interesting questions because like ringleader does play well with like the you can cast this from the top of your deck aspect but it's really poor with the not having an activated ability it's also really good with kiki jiki though i have done that a few times and uh it feels dirty could you possibly see a list with more than one kiki um i have played a list with more than one kiki before um, I played it a... wins with, like, Goblin Spirit Crafter or something weird like that? The champion? The one that I played with won with Restoration Angel. So you actually played Restoration Angel in the early game to just blink fair things like Goblin Ringleader, and then you just got an infinite combo kill off of Vials later. Like, your Vial on floor, 4 puts in Restoration and Angel end of turn, and then Vial on 5 puts in Kiki, and you just win with it. Um... Goblin Lightning Crafter would I, is what I was thinking of. Oh, that's one I have not seen in many, many moons. I'm not recommending I built that deck in. <laughs> I built that deck in uh, Standard when it was around, but uh, I've not seen it in Legacy in a very long time. Though I have seen that card when Lorwyn was new, or uh, Morning Tide. It's in Morning Tide, right? Or Yeah, yeah. When Morning Tide was new, I know Goblins players were playing like one of it to Matron for if they needed something chunky in the the mid and late game, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah, I guess one other thing to think about in terms of uh, the Snoop is that if you build an all-in Goblins combo deck, that can actually goldfish somewhat quickly. It become like your combo matchup probably changes considerably. 
So as of right now, Goblins has to really hit decks like Storm hard in the post-sideboard games because they're a dog in game one. Like, Brian, ballpark, how often do you win against Goblins in game one? Pretty high. I don't have my spreadsheet open. I don't want to give you a number. I'd be wrong, but it's I, if I had to guess, it's over 80%. Yeah, that would that would be reasonable, I would think. And so the sideboard often has to contain things like Mindbreak Trap to help fight back against that. But if you start to be a turn three combo deck, then you can realistically brace a lot of these other combo decks and not have an abysmal game one matchup. Now, might you be unfavored? Yeah, but it might not be a landslide anymore. And so that might like change up the way that your sideboard ends up working. Um, and oftentimes we see goblins, not as much now, but we used to see goblins pivot into white for post-sideboard games for things like Thalia to try to shore up the combo matchup. Or Thorn of Amethyst. Yeah, that's even more common um, these days anyway, because like black is essential to the deck now um, because of Slim Gang and Munitions Expert. I imagine there will be Cabal Therapy somewhere in the 75. That uh, makes a lot of sense to me as well. So the from the combo perspective, something that I find very interesting about Snoop is, like you said, you're a turn three deck now. You're now in the same space as Ad Nauseam Tendrils and uh, Sneak and Show. You're going to be able to race a lot of the combo decks in the format, including TS, especially if you're on the play, because that says TS has to have a turn two. Uh, so you're in a much faster space now. And like you said, you don't have to play all these cyborg cards, but I wonder how other decks, if this Goblins deck is viable, how are they going to adapt to be Plague the because, Engineer! Like... I'm sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> well, I don't think Ant is going to play Plague Engineer. I could be wrong. They they might just, you know, buckle down. But You can just part, Dark Ritual it out on turn one. Get them. I think that the Goblins deck can actually be Plague Engineer because Kiki Jiki is a 2-2, Snoop is a 2-2. Is Sling Gang a 1-1? Uh, Slinking doesn't come into play, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, so they can just kill you through a Plague Engineer now. They're the best tribal th- deck for killing through Plague Engineer. I think Harbinger might be a 2-1, though. Which is part of the combo. Alright, now I feel like an idiot earlier, Brian, by the way, for saying Harbinger. I don't know. Words are tough. But I, I think well, it's a 1-1, like, one, one, right? It, just reading it phonetically, it, it's probably fine. It, it's a 2-1. Okay. I did notice that they sold out the day that it was spoiled on TCG, and the cheapest one was a beat, $8.50. So if you're someone that keeps all your uncommons in a box, dig those mothers out. Sell them. Get rich. Since we're talking about MTG Finance, the Kamigawa Shrines are all $20 bills right now. I used to love those as a kid. I would force draft shrines all the time. I hope you still have them in a box from all your drafts where you force them. I do not. It's time to get rich. Or die trying. Uh, I was going to make that joke. Oh, beat you to it. Rip 50 cent. His career. He's still alive and kicking. <laughs> uh, he's unkillable. It's a magic card that I wanted to talk about. So this card is not ad nauseum. I would like to point that out because whenever this card is brought up online, people are just like, it's worse than ad nauseum and the conversation ends there. Uh, Alex McKinley wrote a wonderful article for theepicsorb.com on this card. You should check that out, but I'm going to cover a few of the highlights right now. So one of the... Are you going to read the card? Oh, do I have to? Reading's really tough. Uh, I think you do. This is a uh, this is an auditory medium. Oh, shit. Well, I, we already know that right, I can't I'll, say I'll read the though. card. 
Okay. I'll read the card. Bryant wants to do the, the good part. All right. So Peer Into the Abyss is a four black, black, black sorcery. So it's a seven drop. Target player draws cards equal to half the number of cards in their library and loses half their life round up each time. Continue, Brian. All right. So let's talk about the art on this card. It is disgusting. I wouldn't want to play this oh, card. It's so fucked. It, it is hideous. It's just like a head coming out of a mouth, coming out of a head, coming out of a mouth into it. The infinite abyss. And it's just disgusting. And if you look like really close, like behind the biggest head, you can see the mouth. Oh, it's also coming out of the eyes. Yeah, like every orifice, the the art is coming back out of that orifice. So it's like a head vomiting a head, and the head that's being vomited is vomiting another head. And it also has like a head vomiting a little head in its eye sockets, and each of those is vomiting a little head. I can't wait to buy a Japanese foil one. Um, but yeah, this card's not ad nauseum. So the biggest thing for me personally is I am a epic storm pilot. This card cost seven mana burning wish into this will be nine mana currently the epic storm plays burning wish into infernal tutor into ad nauseum which is also nine mana so this allows you to cut one step out of that which is interesting because now you can theoretically play turn one double lion's eye diamond turn two burning wish cast peer into the abyss and not lose the mind bird trap so that's actually really huge uh and it's actually worded a little bit differently peer says draw Ad nauseum does not, which means that Pier is not so great against Narsa or Leovold, which is kind of a downside to this card. Alternatively, there is an upside in the fact that you can cast this card from two life and win the game, where Ad nauseum from two life is a little bit suspicious. So they're not exactly the same card, but in my opinion, the biggest difference between them is a deck like Ad nauseum Tendrils, which, let's face it, they could honestly use a card right about now. I know that uh, Max Carini recently did well in the Showcase Challenge, but it's a deck that hasn't really gotten any new tools in a while. Peer into the Abyss allows them to rebuild their deck a little bit, so that way they can abuse the higher casting cost cards. They can play the Double Past and Flames package if they want to. They can play Dark Petition and not have to worry about revealing 5 drops. They can just draw 30 cards. Or, I guess 30 is not realistic. But they can draw 22 cards on average. And I have to worry about not flipping any Lotus Petals or anything like that. Uh, because even if they fail, they might be at 10 life or 8 life or something along those lines. So, when I look at this card, the, the biggest question I have is, like, is this Bolas's Citadel, where it's close but not quite there? Or is this, like, closer to an echo of eons where like you can actually build around this and truly incorporate this into a strategy and uh, I, I don't think we get to know the answer to that question until we start playing with it but like i am not dismissing this seven mana sorcery like i i very much think this could be the real deal if i had to guess it's probably somewhere in between the two but I do think ant is a little bit unique in the fact that cabal ritual almost cast this on its own you're two away and that's something uh, the Epic Storm cannot do. And I'm not saying that I build a deck with like three of these in the main deck. I think that's a little bit crazy. But perhaps it slots over the Ad Nauseum and Ant. Which probably won't cause a name change. I know that I saw some people in the Storm Discord asking if the deck name would change. That's not how Legacy works. No one ever changes their deck names. Uh, Just tell people it's Abyss Nauseum Tendrils. Mm, there we go. There's an A in this in this card name. That does work. I like that. That's why we brought you uh, onto this podcast, Brian. That's my contribution to the storm section of the, the <laughs> cast. I'm glad I could be here. 
Haymaker Burn has a new A in A and T. <laughs> All right, Brian, do you have more that you want to say about this? Like, I, I know there's an article that really like dives into the, some of the math and such, but like, do you want to say any more? I think I'm good. Okay. Hold up. No, 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 no. I just realized there's a version of this card that has flavor text. Oh, don't be so dramatic. When your eyes bleed and your brain leaks out your eyes, then we'll talk about lost sanity. See the truth. I had a number of people message me about this immediately upon it being spoiled. They're like, does this make Past and Flames playable again in Legacy? Well, I don't even think it makes Past and Flames playable in Modern. Um... Like, it's a really cool card. Like, it's somewhere in between. Can I read the card before we break it down again? <sighs> I'm so bad at this. No, Nobody can see this. All right. Once again, let me read this magic card for you people listening with your ears. So, See the Truth is one in a blue, two mana sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one into your hand, the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. If this spell was cast from anywhere other than your hand, put each of those cards into your hand instead. So it's Anticipate as a sorcery with huge upside. All right, continue, Brian. I was going to say it's somewhere between Anticipate and Ancestral Visions. But so you have to have some sort of way of flashing back the Sea of the Truth via Snapcaster Mage, Past in Flames, or something like Shardless, Shardless Agent. Agent. Uh, not necessarily flashing back, but you're casting it for an alternative mode, essentially. And with Past in Flames... In both formats, the decks that win with Past and Flames, they're usually deterministic. Like, they're not going to cast Past and Flames looking to value Cantrip. So, it's not really the right home for See the Truth. But I could see Shardless Bug, for example, uh, trying to upgrade. Like, they recently got Gilded Goose to replace Deathrite Shaman. And maybe this is an upgraded Ancestral Visions that isn't so terrible to draw in the late game. Just a thought. Yeah, uh... I, I agree with Brian that this doesn't belong anywhere near a Storm deck or a deck that would have Past and Flames in it. However, uh, Shardless Agent and Snapcaster Mage. Uh, Snapcaster Mage, obviously, Legacy Staple, has never gone anywhere since it's printing Top of the World. And Shardless Agent was one of the best decks, like solid tier one in Legacy for a long time. And it's been pushed out by more powerful things you can do, better ways to control the game, etc. But cascading into draw three is the reason that deck ever existed and this card like brian said is much better than ancestral vision off the top like being able to anticipate is is worth it and i'm not i'm not sure where we it would fit into like a a snapcaster control deck uh like i i'm not sure that miracles would ever make room for this thing there's just so many good cards you'd want to put in your miracles deck but I could see it maybe it, in like a Stoneblade type deck. Maybe. Uh, like, it's. Paying twice as much for your Ponder is a bad deal. Like, Anticipate is not even close to a Legacy playable magic card. But draw three is really hard to, to get away from uh, for two mana. It's probably like, a little bit better when you're playing an effect like Gilded Goose, right? Maybe. Uh, I don't. As as a person who has had a lot of gilded geese in play in modern, it's a bad mana creature. <gasps> like, uh, no, don't gasp at me. I'm telling you the truth here. So, gilded goose. The fact that it requires you to eat a specific type of permanent from the battlefield 
to make mana. Like it, you don't it like in Legacy we have Birds of Paradise, and that that card I think is just better. And uh, like I, I ran into it in Modern all the time. It's like turn one Goose, turn two Oko, and now I'm still two two turns away from my Urza or Karn because I. Uh, I guess if your turn two is Oko, you can shit out some foods. But like uh, some other three drop, like turn one goose, turn two Leovold, and then it's like uh, now you're you're holding your goose is just a zero two in play for a while. Like it, it's not the kind of longevity you want out of a mana creature. It, there, there's reasons you would want it. Uh, like if if food is actually a relevant thing, like if pay four mana gain three life is somewhere you'd want to be against burn or whatever. Like Goose has some utility, but uh, I, I think in a deck that, like, like a Cascade deck, I, I don't know, like I, having mana creatures in your Cascade deck that don't win the game, like Deathrite Shaman did. I, I'm not sure. I, I I don't see that package really working out. I think the upside of Goose in Legacy is that it's actually like an end game card that helps you to like recoup your losses from the early game. So, like, in most of the games that I've been impressed with Gilded Goose, it's because, like, I've made it to turn 7, and then I stabilized the board, and then, like, every turn, I just made another food and gained more life, and that's just what kept my, like, my, say, my Delver opponent from closing out the game. It's great in that respect, but, like, it is very bad as a mana dork, and you're just, like, playing it to help enable Oko. Right, yeah, like having a food laying around is a totally different equation than having a land in someone's graveyard. Uh, like the comparison to Deathrite Shaman is not a good one, obviously, because that's a ban worthy card and does is too good for the format. And Gilded Goose is definitely not. But uh, the the type of thing that it does, uh, the value you get out of it in a later game situation, I don't love. Uh, like I, I think I would play Noble Hierarch in a, a deck like this over Gilded Goose. But I guess it depends on what your goals are and what your matchups end up looking like. So one of the reasons why Charlotte's Bug was such a good deck is that when it was good, Magic and more importantly, Legacy was very fair. Like the fair decks were what the format was about. And I'd say over the last five-ish years, all of the best decks in the format have tended to be somewhat fair, but the format itself has become a little bit more degenerate. And I feel like that's part of the reason we saw Charlotte's Agent disappear is like, who cares if you're getting a 2-2 if I'm killing you? And I think that started to shift back towards fair with the printing of Horse Negation because like the crazy stuff in the format has been slowly going away and people are starting to play more fair cards again. Because why would I ever play something crazy like Oops All Cells if I know my opponent can have seven Force of Wills? Um, and I think that leads strongly towards the favor of something like a Charlotte's Agent. Granted, I don't think Charlotte's Bug is the greatest deck ever or anything like that, but with enough new printing such as See the Truth, we could eventually get back to a point where it's playable. Yeah, I mean, Charlotte's Bug was always really bad against combo because it could only play four counterspells. Because if you cascade into your spell pierce, you're going to want to die. But like, you only got the four Force of Wills. But now with Force of Negation, they can play up to eight counterspells. Uh, I'm sure they wouldn't want them all, but they could have up to eight counterspells and still be cascading into See the Truth, which is pretty interesting. Um, and discard spells are great against combo too, like uh, cascading into Thoughtseize or Hymn to Turok. Like that, that's a good line. Uh, I was 
there was a uh, 40 duels event in uh at jupiter games like the week plane chase came out like i remember like going to the local store making sure i bought two other copies of the deck i had my shardless agents and my solution in that tournament was i sideboarded uh three ca- sensei's tops and three counterbalances and like I- i'm okay ca- cascading into those in the tournament didn't go well we we him to truck was certainly a better plan that i just didn't have in my deck but but it was early and like there are some some pieces of interaction that are worth cascading into and good against combo i've had a number of charles agents in my life cascade into fluster storm and then i fist pump a little bit before they die so that will probably not happen anymore with force of negation yeah and, and now you can cascade into uh uh collector roof Let's not talk about that one. I don't need that. Let's sort of talk about that some more. Ooh. Phil just sat up in his chair. He's paying attention now. Man, I've gotten yeah. so hosed by Collector Oof playing so many different decks. But this isn't a love letter to that. Let's let's keep talking about See the Truth. Wizard should stop printing Noron effects. They make my life they worse. They should make them cost one. They just did that with Deafening Sounds. Leave me alone, Brian. <laughs> All right, so See the Truth. Speaking of Deafening Silence, you can put that in your Cascade deck, too, because Charlotte's Agent is a creature, and it cascades into a spell, and you're still good. I don't like these ideas. All right, it's beautiful. Make make Shardless great again, 2020. All right, um, so I think the biggest thing with See the Truth is, like, you need to ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? Because, like, this, this is a sorcery speed card, and that's a real downside for, like, a lot of the Snapcaster Mage decks that might want to try and work with this card. So, like, something like Miracles, for example, or, like, the four-color control decks that are interacting at instant speed a lot of the time with things like Ice Fang, Coatl. You lose a lot of flexibility by playing something like this. So, like, you have to ask yourself, is the improved endgame worth the, like slightly more questionable early game and like that's going to be a very metagame specific thing but i'm excited to see where this card goes yeah as part of a package like uh miracles is going to have the the fluster storm spell pierce counterspell type stuff in it and they don't want to pay two mana on their turn but a deck like shardless that can only play pitch counters anyway might be fine just tapping out on turn two to make sure they have that turn three shardless agent uh dig three cards deeper, find the land, find the agent, whatever. Like, it, If there is a deck that's going to be comfortable casting Anticipate, it's going to be one that only has pitch interaction anyway. There's a lot of decks that have tried to jump through hoops for better card draw. Um, so Of One Mind is another recent card that kind of does something similar. Like, obviously it's different. It's like reduced cost for, what is it? It's like a one mana draw two if you have a human and a non-human. So, like, that's a hoop that a lot of people were willing to jump through for the upside, where, they're like, the card isn't always going to be good, but when it's good, like, oh, it uh, it swings the game hard. I think that's kind of the same sort of thing that we're going to see here. Could see the truth, see play in a four-color pile sort of deck or a Grixis control deck. I don't see it. Uh, the, those cards... Or those decks are playing all those colors because they're so full of good cards. Like, uh, I don't know what card the upside of flashing back See the Truth with your Snapcaster Mage would be worth replacing, like, the efficiency of, like, a Ponder or, like, a 
abrupt decay or something like where does this even go well it could go uh, on I, the I really one mind slot right uh haven't those decks fallen off anyway they don't were pretty fresh to deck. start with like it, it that deck won one ptq in the hands of a, a a really strong player i don't know if the deck was ever actually good but uh it it, it, if the engine is online, it's good, but that engine, like the difference is that with of one mind, you can just sit on that, do other things, play a normal ter- play a normal game of magic until you draw your young pyromancer, and then just start shredding through your deck. If you draw your see the truth instead of cascade into it, you're stuck with that thing. Like you could brainstorm it away and then cascade into it if you if you want to get the value later, but. Uh, it's a lot harder to turn back on. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I also think it's really hard to slot this into a Grixis or four-color control deck right now when, like, they have Astrolabe, so they get to play, like, the most efficient and best cards of every single color without, like, yielding to deck-building constraints. So, like, trying to make them jump through extra hoops when they don't have to doesn't seem like a winning battle. That's fair. Yeah, like like compare this to like Kolagon's command or Leovold or you know what what card could possibly be even close to uh competitive with the deck slot to put see the truth in. Like I I'm not feeling it. Alright. Speaking of cards that we'd see more play if uh Astrolabe decks weren't everywhere, let's talk about Eliminate. So This I'll, card's really cool. I'll read the card. It's short. It also has like baller art. Uh, destroy target creature or planeswalker with converted mana cost three or less for one and a black. So goodbye, it's smother. An instant for what it's worth. Yes, thank you. Goodbye, smother. We enjoyed your time in this world, but uh, welcome to uh, twenty twenty power creep. I love this card. This card has been a long time coming. Like they've needed to print more versatile planeswalker removal for a very very long time. Uh, the problem is that this card exists in the same uh, color pie somewhat as Abrupt Decay, and it's going to struggle to find slots because, like, if you're already playing black, the push to green isn't that large of a stretch unless you're playing something like Grixis. Uh, theoretically, you could play something like Esper, but I think you get more options if you're playing white. So it's interesting. Like, I don't know if this card will actually end up seeing play, but I could see it. I think this card, all right, in in the hypothetical world where, like, Astrolabe or something eats it at some point in Legacy, this card becomes very good because, like, you don't get to just play Abrupt Decay for free in most of your decks anymore. And I think, like, straight-up Grixis decks, like, maybe, maybe a Grixis Delver deck would play this. I, I don't know. It's kind of weird because, like, they can answer Oko, which is, like, the primary thing that you want to be answering with a card like this. They can answer that with Pyroblast anyway. Um, but this is a card that is, like, 100% good in Legacy based on power level. But does it have a ton of homes at the moment? Maybe not. People would have killed for this back during the Ren era. Oh my god, Yes. Can't. Yeah, this, uh, like, obviously, again, we're assuming that uh, you're not in greens for some reason. Uh, this picking off non-blue planeswalkers is, is the big game. Like, you mentioned Ren and Six, which is obviously gone, but uh, 
like the like knight of the reliquary still around like uh, a lot of the times as a delver deck like i'm uh you have this deck this sideboard full of pyroblasts where it's like oh i need these for my okos or whatever and then you play against the the maverick deck and you're just like well shit they're gonna just muscle me around uh eliminate just the versatility of this card is obviously really great there's also a decent number of three mana planeswalkers that do see legacy play uh four color loam for example regularly plays some combination of lily of the veil lily last hope um kaya whatever it's called uh is starting to become more popular as well uh you run into narset from time to times in other decks and we're only going to get more push planeswalkers so, like, other things are going to filter into the format that this is going to answer. Uh, notably, this also gives a lot of fringe strategies an answer that they never had before. Uh, so a mono-black deck like Pox, for example, sometimes... Shout out leaving a legacy chat. Yes, of course. Uh, sometimes plays for... What is it? Is it, is it called Spark Removal? The black-black destroy a Planeswalker and then put counters on your own Planeswalkers? Elder Spell, thank you. Um, sometimes plays like four Elder Spells in the sideboard to deal with Oko because it's such a problem card. And now they get to play something that is like A, potentially main deckable, and B, is much more flexible and a better use of sideboard slots as a whole. Have they never heard of Dystopia? Cumulative Upkeep 1? Uh, I have played that card at least three times in the last three months. I don't even know if that's actually what Dystopia does. Is it, it pay life? Uh, I don't remember what it does. It's always bad when I play it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a good card. It, it, it is pay one life, not one mana. Yeah, cumulative upkeep, pay one life. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, they sacrifice a green or white permanent. And it's a one black black enchantment. It will get that Oko eventually. You can cast it off Dark Ritual. I have won a game with that card. you can sing the name of it like Rihanna. I will admit. I played it against, I think it was a, it was either a Maverick or a Death and Taxes player, and I just played it on, like, turn two or three, and they, they just, like, typed really in the chat and then conceded. Got him. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm so excited that this card exists, and I think this bodes well for future printings, and, like, we're actually going to get more reasonable answers to Planeswalkers in the future. Uh, that makes me very happy. A somewhat unrelated note. Eliminate was spoiled on Reddit about a week before it was officially spoiled. Someone posted that, hey, this card's going to be coming out sometime next week. Do we see that as an issue that where Wizards is confiding in people to release cards and then this information keeps on getting out earlier? Uh, I mean, yes. Uh, I don't like that leaks exist and... Uh, I, I don't like that MTG Finance insiders knew about the Pioneer format weeks before it was announced and were able to spec on all of that stuff. Like, all of that stuff is concerning. And unfortunately, we just live in a world that there's some incentive. I don't know if it's like social media clout, like Twitter followers or like Reddit upvotes or whatever, that like, if you actually have a legitimate spoiler that bears out to be real like what clout that buys you like i think it's a problem i i used to follow official spoiler stuff and it was kind of cool to see everything sort of like come out in the like 
wizard orchestrated way where like you're sort of like fo following along everything in a cool progression and like sometimes you're taking away something really cool from an artist or content producer when you spoil their card early and that's like definitely a feel bad thing for me but i think the finance things about it are actually what concern me the most yeah i remember what brian was talking about with the pioneer uh leak where like, like things just skyrocketed. Like anything that was going to be worth money was already thirty dollars. Yeah, like the the sets from RGR forward were getting bought out on Modo like two weeks before Pioneer was announced. And uh like Sperling did a deep dive on his YouTube channel. He basically went like investigative journalist and did a an episode uh where he like track down the posts in the MTG finance that s said like a new format's coming. It's RTR forward, no fetch lands. And then he like talked to the guy who made that post and talked to another guy. And then like, uh, it, it's like a 20 minute video. And it, I think he did a, a pretty good job, like pointing out uh, or like digging and then like pointing out like who the problematic people in this chain of events are. And like, if there are any legal ramifications to anyone along the way, cause he's also a lawyer. But if you're interested in that, it's on his channel. Uh, but uh, I, I, taking something away from a content producer or maker is like the worst part for me. Like as as a content producer, it's like uh, I've never gotten a, a card. But if I did, and I like worked really hard to make an exciting uh, way to unveil it, and like. I, I was counting on it to get like clicks on my site or whatever. And then it's just on Reddit a week earlier. That would be pretty brutal. Yeah. Like all, all three of us in the grand schemes of magic are kind of like small content creators, right? Like we're, we're big names in the eternal scene, but like in the grand scheme of things, we're small. So like if we were given a preview card, say for the podcast, that would be like super, super exciting for, for any of us. And to just like, have it be spoiled on Reddit like the day before the uh, the video that you made that you spent 10 hours making goes live. Uh, that would be devastating. Yeah. Yeah, like, w we know what it goes into making and editing a YouTube video. And, like, I know uh, Allie Warfield got a, a preview card, and she made a really nice, like, 90-second-long video or whatever where she was, like, created like a board state on uh arena and she was like oh no how do i answer this like that doesn't do it and like cards from the past were popping up like next to her like as she was thinking about it and then she then like this new card we've never seen before materialized and she's like yeah that's the one and clearly like someone had edited that card into uh her video on arena as if she could cast that card now and it, it was like i bet 12 hours of work at least went into that uh, like you have to like write the script you have to do the editing you have to record it you have to do the cropping in like that's a ton of work and uh, if someone had just been like hey there's a more different spell pierce being printed on reddit a week earlier that would have been less fun all right um so let's talk about frantic inventory now so this is one in a blue instant Draw a card, then draw cards equal to the number of cards named Frantic Inventory in your graveyard. So, unquestionably, this is an accumulated knowledge upgrade, right? Phil? Brian, do you have any questions? <laughs> Phil, we've already been over this. It's not an upgrade. I disagree with you very strongly. 
I am doing Trump hands right now because I want this to be a meme, but uh, it is not an upgrade. So, sure, it is no longer symmetrical. That does not mean that it is better. There was a lot of skill that went into AK mirrors like a year and a half ago when Lawrence Herman brought AK back into everyone's life after the death rate banning. This the mirror had a lot of skill involved with like how long can I afford to sandbag this accumulated knowledge and then allow my opponent to draw two and it was this cascading effect and it brought a lot of like interesting decisions into the game where frantic inventory just removed that entirely because it's like why are we trying to take interesting aspects of magic away? Like we should be trying to make the game more interesting and like just making the same card, but not symmetrical. Like that's boring. And I don't think that's exactly what this game needs. I, I do think it's cool that it's now modern legal and pioneer legal, but who cares? Um, I don't know. So I've cast, I mean, I don't know all of your life stories but i imagine i've cast more accumulated knowledges than anyone else in oh, this I, cast. I don't know if i and, agree with that all right and the i am not sure what if which one i would play uh, if i were building a deck um i agree that ak mirrors were pretty interesting like figuring out what level your opponent was on was important like if they're just going to fire off AK starting turn two, then maybe you want to leave in all four so you can, because you'll always be like paying off slightly better than them. If they board down to just one, then you should board out all of yours. Like if they leave all four in, maybe you just leave in one or two and you just get paid off in the late game. Like there, there was a fun dance about that. But at the same time, like that deck was built to be able to draw cards like cantrip through its deck starting turn two and having to come off that plan. It in some ways is interesting and skill testing. And in other ways is just like I roll because that's how cards work back then. Like, is this card neutered now? Is it dumbed down now? Or did they just not know any better back then? Was it a mistake back then and it's fixed now? Or, or is it, was it right back then and it's dumbed down now? I, I think there's an argument for either one. And I'm not sure how I would build a deck right now with both of these cards in existence. I think it's a change in design philosophy. I so back then... Uh, sorry, Phil. Uh, you cut out a little bit, but I think I got what you were saying. Uh, so back then, cards had downsides which magic cards today just don't have them someone uh, in a facebook chat that i'm in shared a photo of the new hexproof shark jumping out of the water to kill somebody on a ship and i was like oh it also has prowess or i think or i think it has prowess it's like hexproof prowess it costs like six and it's like a five six or something uh it's a common but in my mind when i saw the art i immediately went back to like the seventh edition serpent serpent text where this thing creature can't attack unless its opponent controls an island but there's no way that would ever be printed on a card now like wizards doesn't print cards with downsides because they're unfun for new players but i think that the deck building constraints around them back then was a lot more interesting like we're never going to see the leeches ever be reprinted because like that was no fun for anyone yeah so the uh for for starters, I think using Island Home as your example of a cool mechanic was a huge miss. Like, Is that what that mechanic that mechanics, Well, Island Home was can't attack unless your opponent controls an island and dies immediately if you don't control an island at any point. I don't, is that how the serpent uh, worked? And there were some serpents that like could were allowed to continue existing no matter what you had. 
but could only attack if there was an island. But Island Home, a number of serpents from like the Mirage and Visions era had that where both players needed an island for this card to function. And those cards were just bad. Like, I, I don't think it's interesting that's like, I'm going to put a five mana creature in my deck or six or seven mana creature in sea my deck. Sea monster is six mana that, for clarification. Sure. There, there's a many uh, sea monsters that existed in that era. It's like, am I going to put a five mana creature in my deck that can only attack one fifth of the time? Like, assuming my opponent has islands at like that. I don't think that's interesting or good for the game. I was thinking more along the lines of limited, like you had this like sideboard bomb, but not everything is constructed playable. Right. So, and then the, like, I don't know if we were recording or if we were talking about this before we went live, but Ancient Tomb, like that's a card that has really interesting tension. It does something unfair, but the cost is real. Like if you don't win with your unfair jump start, you're going to lose because your life is so low. And that's an interesting design balance. And do we, what's the, the most recent example of a card like that? Like, is there one from recent memory? I know War of the Spark, like, ruined everything with the, the one-sided Planeswalkers statics. Like, that that was, I'm unimpressed with that. I can't remember I the last like playable a, card that was printed with the downside. Some of the hate bears yeah. from a few years back were probably symmetrical and they like technically hurt you sometimes, but eh. Yeah, like Arbiter is still symmetrical. Uh, that's Scars of Mirrodin, though. That's still like pretty old now in the scheme of magic. That, that's a 10 year old. Spirit of the Labyrinth? Almost. That's newer. Uh, yeah, that's that's a little was newer. Was it Dranith Magistrate, uh, the one that I was upset that it wasn't symmetrical? Yeah, Dranith Magistrate is not symmetrical. I don't know. Hate yeah, so. Yeah, like. I'm not. I'm honestly not sure where I stand as as a person who doesn't design games for a living. Like, I I wish that interesting cards. Like Ancient Tomb were were still printed, um, but I know that uh, Marrow has written many times about how new players hate pain lands. And that's why the the pain lands haven't been printed in a long time, even though they're just like a totally fine set of, cycle of dual lands for any standard set. Like we we've got like temples and triomes and shock lands and all these things that aren't pain lands because new players hate them. And uh, I I I this this has come up like the last three weeks in a row in some form or another. But I, I think that anything that grows the game is good, as long as we're not just like breaking the game like i think war of the spark pushed the limit on like what a symmetrical a non-symmetrical effect could be uh, and a number of those cards were too good but like i i don't think a seven mana common uh sea serpent type creature not having island home is a problem going back to frantic inventory for a second so like obviously <laughs> i set up coward i mean we can talk about island home for a little bit longer I wasn't no, no, trying to say that talk I was about upset about specifically some serpent. Uh, I was just saying that I missed <laughs> downsides on cards. Like, not everything needs to be at 8 out of 10. I do think Hexproof is a worse mechanic. I agree. Oh, just, man. Just, like, wor- worse for the game. Uh, but 
I, I'm not in charge of selling packs, so fuck me. <laughs> but but in most of the situations where uh, a thing like could be a little more difficult to make work, I don't mind that it's not. Anyway, Phil, frantic yeah. inventory. So like, obviously, when I introduced this card, I was setting up uh, Bryant's little point here. Um, so the way that I viewed frantic inventory when I was looking at it is I viewed it as this is a card that removes the early game constraints that sometimes AK has. So let's say that you're playing either a mirror or a pseudo mirror, and you need to cast your AK before your opponent does. That puts you into a really awkward situation, right? So playing Frantic Inventory helps to smooth out your early game. And a lot of times, if you're the better player, over the course of a long, you know, 10-plus turn game, you can leverage your cho your choices, your skill in so many other situations to pull yourself ahead that I think Frantic Inventory a lot of times ends up being an upgrade because it helps to smooth out your early game that might be awkward. You know, say you need to hit land drop 4, can you cast your turn 3 or 4 AK to make that happen? It It gets a little weird, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly the situation that I was thinking about when I was saying I wasn't sure which one of these I'd play in a deck today. Uh, like, in a control mirror, which any AK mirror is likely to be, uh, hitting your land drops is the most important thing. Like, it, it barely matters what's in your hand until, like, turn 7 or 8. And the hitting your land drops, whoever starts missing land drops first is going to start have to gonna have to start casting spells, and then they're going to lose. And that's how control mirrors work. And uh, just like needing to hit land number three and four and casting an early AK, knowing that I'm going to get buried by my opponent's AK, sucks. And that's as a person who's been here through like the, the warts and pain of magic, like been playing since 96. I was there when like uh, for Island Home and whatever, I, I remember. And I, I think that like losing... Like Phil said, like the, the the equity of playing a good game of magic versus like being able to outmaneuver your opponent when everything's going perfectly for you. So like I I like that frantic inventory exists and it's gonna be really interesting. Also keep in mind that like AK or AK mirrors were never super common, and the decks that play them often run an entire cantrip suite dedicated to hitting your land drops and everything else. So like I think what you're describing isn't common enough to make the decision to run frantic inventory over AK. Like it's not going to matter anymore, but like I needed to hit my land drop on turn three. Like that was going to come up so infrequently compared to, I think maneuvering out maneuvering your opponent and like having a better late game. Yeah. Um, our, our sort of like patron uh, Wilson Hunter uh, in our group chat said, yeah, I'm still playing AK every time for the potential upside of being able to, like, outplay opponents in AK mirrors. Yeah, and, and, like, it being uncommon is true, but it's non-zero, which is a deck-building consideration. Like, when when I'm playing Elves, like, and I want two Landwar Elf effects in my deck, I'm going to split them between, like, a Landwar and a Findhorn because it's non-zero. Like, Cabal Therapy and Phyrexian Revoker exist, and... It's probably not going to come up very often, but if it does, it matters. So uh, just like, I, I don't think that shrugging it off as like AK mirrors are uncommon. So Phil, aren't you someone like, that doesn't split your it. basic planes? 
No, I split my planes 100% of the time. There are other certain heathens in the Death and Taxes community, who I, I will not name here, everyone knows who they are anyway, um, who, like, want to have matching art for their planes, so they, like, won't split. Um, but, like, predict, uh, like, if, if you can do something to play around some weird fringe scenario, it will win you some game. Now, maybe it's one in every hundred games, or maybe even more than that, but, like, those fringe interactions, like, really add up over the course of playing Legacy. Yeah, like, the all of those, like, little... The tiniest things, like like you just said, matter in Legacy. Like, there there was a time uh, I was watching some stream where uh, Cyrus Cormagill was on the call helping the streamer navigate Storm. And they had a pretty clear line of, like, some number of rituals to an empty hand, uh, Infernal Tutor, win the game. And the, the person started clicking through and Cyrus was like, wait, play the Infernal Tutor second to last and then respond with your last dark ritual to play around piracy charm. And the streamer was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then they pitched piracy charm to their force of will on the Infernal Tutor. <laughs> and, and like, like those tiny little things, like the, like obviously they still lost cause they have the force of will, but like there's those tiny little things in deck building and sequencing, like are, they're going to matter some number of the time. You're going to lose some equity over the course of your life if you don't at least put ser some serious thought into it. So what you're describing is a lot more common with Vendelian Click. Granted, Click doesn't see a lot of play anymore, but that was often a way of beating Click was to cast your Infernal Tutor, then go Dark Ritual, Cabal Ritual. Does this resolve? All right, so Frantic Inventory. Uh, I'm definitely... Uh, slightly salty that this might hurt the foil value of accumulated knowledge because I have a set of nemesis foils and they're fucking gorgeous. So I might just play those for that reason only. This card is a zero out of 10 in my book. <laughs> I think this card is a accumulated knowledge out of 10. Like literally whatever AK is out of 10, this is exactly the same. You're a zero out of 10. <laughs> and that's why he's on this podcast. That Fits in with the rest yeah, of us. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, I'd be working somewhere getting paid if I was any better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so do we want to keep going with some of these other cards here? Uh... Okay. Um, to wrap up the podcast today, we're going to do some quick hits. So we spent a lot of time discussing just like about five cards this time around, and now we're just going to quickly say a few things about some other things that are probably legacy playable without like really diving into a lot of stuff about them. Uh, so let's start with Sublime Epiphany, which you might have dismissed at first reading it because it is a six mana blue spell. So it's four colorless and then blue blue for an instant. Choose one or more. Counter target spell. Counter target activated or triggered ability. Return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control. And or target player discards a card. Draws a card. Sorry, draws a card. Blech. Piracy charm still yes. in your head. Okay, so where might this see play? Definitely not with Omniscience. Anywhere else. Yeah, th this is definitely an Omniscience Cunning Wish sort of thing. Uh, the, the Cunning Wish sideboards out of Omniscience decks tend to have 
a bunch of like derpy looking spells that are there only as uh, protective options if you get stick omniscience and then like like uh one of the things like if, if you cast show and tell you put in omniscience they put in a reclamation sage being able to cunning wish for a stifle effect at instant speed and stifle the reclamation stage lets you continue comboing sublime epiphany will just take over that kind of slot because it's free or it's free to do like it if you can get six mana worth of value off of your free spell rather than one or two uh, i think that's worth doing i think the question becomes is it is um what's the word i'm looking for here uh consolidating your cyborg slots worth the occasional five mana stifle that you have with cunning wish it probably is because as a someone who plays a storm uh wishboard the fewer slots the better but i'm just saying that like you do lose the five mana hey i'm going to cunning wish stifle your thing that was going to kill me yeah this is definitely not like a strict upgrade this is one of those things where it probably sees play to consolidate like two-ish sideboard slots into one but like you do lose out on some hard cast value by doing that yeah like you lose the the five mana like uh wish for trick bind but you gain the uh nine mana like like end step turn four or five wish for this now you're holding it like in in a longer sort of game so uh the there's some push and pull there. Like six man is a lot. And like if you ever hard cast but... this, you just have to high five everyone around you. But like I can totally see a world where you're playing against like a Maverick deck where they probably do have Rex Age or like Kasali Pride Mage or something that makes it unsafe to show and tell. But you need to stay alive and like bounce their Knight of the Reliquary, draw a card, stifle their their wasteland or whatever like all at once. <laughs> like it could be sweet. It could be sweet. Thought we weren't going to reach on this or, podcast episode. All right, quick hits. We'll move on then. All right, all right. I got a I got a quick hit for you. It's probably more of a quick miss, but uh, Silver Smote Ghoul is two and a black. It's a zombie vampire. It's a three one. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, return this from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped, and one and a black sack it draw a card. So I don't I don't know what space looks like in a dredge deck or manalist dredge deck but this combos directly with creeping chill this is a creature that can jump from your graveyard into play for free and if your deck has mana in it you can sack it to dredge some more so it might find a home might not and i guess we'll see i feel like this is don't have a whole lot to say about that one closer to modern playable because the modern dredge deck does play creeping chill where not all legacy versions do and i think that this card is actually like one of those like get a place out of them, store them away in case there's ever anything dredge playable that gains life, because that would be two ways to enable it, which just makes it another uh, amalgam. Yeah, and uh, this definitely looks more of like a modern power level. Uh, what else is on the level? Uh, we Grim Tutor was reprinted, which I don't think that card is good enough for legacy like the storm decks don't even touch it uh they did 10 years ago but they don't anymore but 
I don't know how much of that is a function of availability. Probably zero because uh, Magic Online doesn't play it either, and it's cheap there. You'd be shocked but at the number Grim of Tutor... people that I've seen in like the Storm Discord that are like, "Hey, I can finally afford my copy. Maybe I'll test it now." It's like that's not the reason we weren't playing Grim Tutor for the last ten years. Like Dark Petition is better. Wishclaw Talisman is better. There's just better options. Burning Wish is better. Uh, wait, Phil, was that you? Uh, but you just don't want to be playing Grim Tutor. Card sucks, but it is now available in Japanese foil with sweet art. Yeah, there there is some blood on a book. So I do know that Brian disagrees with me on this card, and I'm actually going to read what it does for the first time in this episode. Thank you, Chandra's Incinerator. Five and a red for a creature that's an elemental. The spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total number of non-combat damage dealt to your opponent's as in plural, this turn. Trample. Whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, Chandra's Incinerator deals that much damage to target creature or planeswalker that player controls for a 6-6. So why is this good? Why is it bad? Uh, well, it's obvious that it's really cool with Fire Blast because you can play your land on turn 2, float 2 mana, deal 4, hey, you have 2 mana, that's how much this creature costs now. You don't really want to be sacking your lands on turn 2. Where I think that this is actually pretty cool is with Riftbolt. You suspend it turn one, turn two on your upkeep, you deal him three, you cast a Chain Lightning. Now you have a 6-6 six, six Trample in the face of your, of your opponent's, uh, I don't know, Delver of Secrets or Tarmogoyf, whatever. Not that Tarmogoyf is legacy playable, but if it were, get in there. Yeah, I, I think that this is a uh, magical Christmas land card. Like, we can think of all sorts of neat scenarios where this arrives on turn two and just goes unopposed. Like, it's immune to fatal push and blah, blah. Like, okay. Uh, but the draws out of burn where they're like turn one suspend Rift Bolt instead of turn one Goblin Guide or Monastery Swiss Beer, I'm pumping the fist because those are their bad draws. So... The like they want repeatable sources of damage in play early and often, and if they like spend their first turn and a half casting spells and then stick this thing that doesn't have haste, doesn't do any damage immediately, and I can just like swords of plowshare it or whatever, uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, obviously, swords of plowshares is pretty close to the only answer to this thing that really gets played outside of counter spells, like. You can't push, you can't decay. Can't uh, maybe this is a cyborg option then. Yeah, maybe. Uh, can't red blast it, obviously. Like, you can blue blast it uh, if, if that card picks up in popularity again. But So I have a legitimate question about this card, and it's just kind of occurred to me now. So, like, from Burn's perspective, is this a good card versus combo? Where, like... Your normally your only line to beat combo is just like I'm gonna play Eidolon of the Great Rebel and hope that they can't answer it. Is this the sort of thing where like this is fat enough where like this plus your initial burn spells actually leaves them dead and leads to a fast enough goldfish that like that's good? Probably not. Okay. Yeah, so let's so let's let's live in two different timelines here so timeline one i suspend rift bolt i go to my next turn they take three i bolt them they take three i cast this the next turn i attack for six with it so i'm attacking for six on turn three with this thing uh versus turn one goblin guide which also attacks for six but i turn three 
and you're getting under things rather than having to like set up this difficult thing. Like I, I, I just don't see it fit in the same way. Like it, some sort of sideboard option against bug or like a deck that can't actually answer it uh, might be the home for this thing. But I don't think this is better than the, the one mana haste creatures that already exist in the shell. Yeah, this is one of those cards where like I don't want to be quick to dismiss it because like this is very different from most of the cards that we've seen in red previously. But I'm also not like 100% consoled that the, sold that this is the truth. Yeah, the the bottom line of text, whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, this deals damage to target creature or planeswalker they control. If that was like double that damage or like Torbrand like deals that damage plus two like kind of effect rather than a hit their creature and planeswalker then maybe like if you untap you just win you're just like bolt for six bolt for six bolt for six you're dead like maybe if things were different they wouldn't be the same but uh, I I just don't think burn in in legacy at least cares about the creatures or planeswalkers your opponent has that's kind of the point of playing burn like if that wasn't flavor text in legacy uh, if it was something different, then maybe. But I don't like it. All right. Quick hit over. Uh, next one. Uh, how about Run a Foul? So this is. Cooked Wings is not legacy playable, Phil. I mean, I have played that card and it was good in multiple decks that contain Chalice of the Void. So I don't know that I agree. Uh, to read what the card. What deck would play this card? I'm going to read it first. Alright, one green for instant target opponent sacrifices a creature with fly. This Boo. is this is a really neat sideboard card in that it hits a lot of disparate things. So this is a one mana answer to something like Grizzlebrand, Emrakul, Merit Lodge, Delver, all in one card. I don't hate this one. Boo. Like, like I, I don't think it's, uh, like, phenomenal. Like, obviously going to be a one-up in every green sideboard or anything, but I, I do think this card is good. So, But, the... like, what deck would play this? Like, Maverick has ans- like has way for swords. Rug Delver has Petty Theft, as you mentioned earlier. Like, I'm just trying to think of a reasonable home for this card, and I can't think of one. It will be a deck that has trouble answering large creatures when they get in play. So... I'm going to use Steel Stompy for an example. That's a Chalice deck, so it doesn't want this. But, like, Steel Stompy, like, does not have access to colored removal outside of Dismember. So it has a very difficult time with some specific cards. So any any large flyer that you show Intel in or reanimate in is a huge problem once it's actually in play. Which is why you saw a lot of the mana bases warped to include things like Caracas. And Clipped Wings in the Green Splash became a way to, like, safely answer those creatures while also solving solving your Delver of Secrets problem. Because, again, you're an Ancient Tomb deck, so anytime you're on Ancient Tomb and your opponent's on Delver, uh, you're on the back foot from the get-go. So For I think what we... it's worth, if we're talking about Steel Stompy, Walking Ballista exists, but also Stonecoil Serpent. Yes, and that has been very, very, very good for the deck. Um, I think the only thing that I like about Runafowl is that the artwork is some long-necked dinosaur eating the shit out of some genie. Only good thing about it. Fuck genies anyway. Exactly. Go dinosaurs. 
Dinosaurs versus Genies in theaters near you. Sponsored by the Eternal Glory Podcast. Dual decks. Dinosaurs versus Genies. <laughs> Alright. Quick hit. Baron Tolarian Archmage. One colorless and two blue. Legendary creature, human wizard. 2-2. Two, two. When it ETBs, return up to one other target creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand. At the beginning of your end step, if a permanent was put into your hand from the battlefield this turn, draw a card. What do you think of this one? Former host... I think Sorry, Brian, th- go ahead. Nope. Uh, I think that this goes in creature decks more than traditional blue decks. Like, th- this... This is a worse card than Venser in like some sort of blue control deck, but in like humans, like five color humans or some Aether Vile deck, like Esper Vile, this could have a home. Works pretty profitably with Crocus and Aether Vile. Yeah, you can uh, go the fuck off, as the kids say, with uh, <laughs> all of those things. When I saw this, I immediately thought of uh, getting the boys back together of Baron and Urza, best friends, BFFs. Uh, you just like cast Urza, float a bunch of mana, bounce Urza, replay Urza, and then you have more constructs and you draw a card. Obviously, that's not like a real legacy interaction. It's just what my my child brain reading the stories about the Brothers War in 1998 wanted to happen. I think secretly what I like about this card has nothing to do with what the card actually says. It said the artwork feels like an old magic card. And and yes. that's something like we just don't get anymore. Like this feels like something you might have seen back in Urza's. Yeah, they I I noticed going through the spoiler, they brought back some old legends, like Mirage Block Legends, like Mangara is Ker- here, Baron's Kervac, right? here. Yeah, uh Kervac is here. Um I'm scrolling through the spoiler trying to find them all. Uh one of the uh green ladies from Mirage is here. Uh, right, while you're looking, I just want to say Jory- I'm so Jory-El. sad about what they did to my boy Mangara. Like, Mangara, like, legacy staple for so long, like, one of the core cards of D&D. I got a message and it was like, Mangara is back! And I'm like, oh my god, what is it gonna be? And then I got, like, this lifelinky creature, and I was like, ah. This is probably going to be really good in standard, but I don't get to play with this. Yeah, I like how when I'm people decided lie. they were going to try to make death and taxes better, they cut the card the deck was based around because, like, yeah, this card's hot trash. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was the uh, inevitability part of DNT. But when I read the new Mangara, I was just like, like, like I've been head down in standard so long. I read this card and was just like, holy shit! I want three of this card in my sideboard right now for this PT. Like, this card is nice. All I ever want in life is to use my white mana to stop red decks from winning. And Mangar is really good at doing yeah. that. Yeah. Like, that is a really cool card. I do really like the design of the card, and it goes with Mangara's diplomatic background. Like, I get it. I just wanted another legacy playable Mangara to replace the hole in my heart. Yeah, this is not legacy D&T playable. DT doesn't deserve more creatures, Phil. <laughs> Do we get good white spells then? No? Uh, well, right right next to Mangara on the visual spoiler is Nine Lives, which uh, is a new donate combo in Legacy. <laughs> the uh, I, I'm in a number of Legacy Facebook chats or uh, sites and groups, and somebody posted Nine Lives, 
when it was spoiled. Uh, I'll read the card. One white white enchantment hexproof. If a source would deal damage to you, prevent that damage and put an incarnation counter on nine lives. When there are nine or more incarnation counters on nine lives, exile it. When it leaves the battlefield, you lose. So it's form of the cat. And I saw this shared in one of the legacy groups I'm in with the caption like, is this as bad as I think? OMG or or something like like people talk me off the ledge here. I'm going to quit magic over this card. Tendrils and Grapeshot and are both like, very profitable with this card. Yes. So uh, this combos with Solemnity. Uh, maybe uh, you can build this into Enchantress Phil. Uh, just make a can't lose the damage engine, which I, I, I think Enchantress already has, right? Solitary like that's literally the point of Enchantress. Yeah. yeah, Solitary Confinement does that as one card. But uh, with a Donate or Harmless Offering, funny that Harmless Offering's art is a cat coming your way. You could just like get eight incarnations on this, donate it and bolt your opponent. Or you could just like have engineered explosives on three and donate it. So <laughs> it's just funny to talk about. This is not going to get played, but uh, I just want to assuage the fears of everyone who thinks this is broken. Solitary confinement, a card with a drawback that was well designed. Man, solit- All right. solitary confinement is such a fun card to play with when you're on limited resources. And it's just like, oh no, I have one enchantment in my hand, but I'm almost dead. Can I play this solitary confinement? I get two draws to go out of it, but I like lose the game if I don't. There's some really weird, like, very interesting sub games that happen when solitary confinement isn't just like an immediate blowout that the other person on the other side of the table never gets to see or understand, unfortunately. Mm, rough life. So, so while we're while we're talking about it, nine lives has a pretty significant drawback. We were just talking about what magic cards come with drawbacks. You fucking lose if you take damage nine times. And and it's not like prevent all damage you'd be dealt. Like, it's from a source. So three creatures give you three counters. Yes, like three attacking creatures or like double strike hits you twice. Uh, like all of those things. Like like you said, grape shot for a nine is just lethal. So nine lives is a, a, a powerful enchantment with a serious drawback. And it's when it leaves play, not when it dies. So the drawback so, like, on this is that like, you would lose the game, but like there's no real cost to playing it. It costs you a card that could be literally anything else, though. Yeah, like is this going to keep you alive longer than like a two-four blocker or something? Like just some creature, like a Mangara. Like, is it, like is yeah? Is this or like Tarmogoyf going to save you more life through combat over the course of a game? Like, unless you're you're comboing somehow, uh, this card I think is worse than like any anything you could put on the battle. You don't even get to blink it with your Yorian to reset it or anything. They thought of that. All right, uh, I, if we if we've spent this much time talking about nine lives, I think we're about <laughs> done. Uh, do we have any more like like one minute or less quick hits for this set? There's a lot of sweet reprints. We got containment priest. We got scavenging ooze. But like. I think as far as uh, actually uh, conceivably playable cards, we've, we've gone pretty exhaustive here. Right before we went live, they announced uh, this new red card. It's one red, it deals two to any target. It's like a nerfed lightning bolt. What do you think? It's a tough one. I line. think it was called Shock. Yeah, uh, well, I was trying to wrap up, but since you told the, brought up Shock, I started playing in like Tempest, so... Shock was originally in Stronghold. That was like my baseline burn spell. I didn't seal Lightning Bolt for probably like 
five or six years after playing Magic, and I was blown the fuck away that this card existed. Like, we talk about power creep. I was like, whoa, that's what old cards did? Like, there's, like, reverse power creeping down. So I, I just remember being very impressed by Lightning Bolt. And it's probably the card I own the most different sweet copies of now as an adult. Uh, I hope you all have enjoyed the episode for today. We'll be back in two weeks, and uh, if there's any new sweet cards, we'll talk about them, but we'll probably largely be moving on to a new topic for the next week. Mm -hmm.